Em Rossiano and Michael Lucas. Oh my God, I can't wait. It's happening. It's happening. This is Emsolation. The internet lost its collective mind. She is choosing to focus on the one time in history when one of her conspiracy theories actually was correct except yeah. for Trump being elected. What yeah. are you saying is erectile dysfunction? Don't know. I'd get but... on board with that theory. <laughs> You're in Emsolation. Welcome to episode nine of Emsolation, darlings. This is the second time I'm recording this intro. <laughs> Because I was a little bit jittery. I don't know. I've I've done interviews this morning and being back around breakfast radio, look, I was promoting the podcast, which is so fantastic, but it just set something off in me <laughs> and I get nervous and I was talking way too fast. So I'm doing this again and I'm just going <sighs> to exhale and remember that I'm with you guys. I'm amongst friends. You've chosen to be here. You've chosen to put me in your ear holes. <laughs> I'm sitting at my kitchen table. The fire's going. I um, I think we need some fire sound. I'm just going to get Matt, my editor, to just, yeah, thanks, darling. Just pop in some crackling, some popping. Oh, that's nice. Although I'm sorry to my far north Queensland listeners. I know it's probably a 1,000 degrees there. Look, I, as I said, I did do some radio this morning and I was on my friend Fifi Box's show, Fox FM. She is a gem of a human, I have to say. But... Um, like I said, being back around radio made me a bit jittery, but Emsolation has made me love broadcasting again. And I think after 15 years, I'm finally allowed to say I'm good at it. Oh, that feels dirty. Why does it feel dirty? I love talking into a stick. And I just, I don't know why I avoided doing a podcast for so long. I mean, I did one years ago, but now I'm here. I just love doing it so much and I hope that I can keep going forever. I'll bring one to you from beyond the grave. You know, if anyone can, it'll be me. On Tuesday, though, it was uh, Andrew Denton's 60th birthday. Hey, that was a right hand turn you weren't expecting. And Andrew Denton, obviously, he is, a, you know, TV personality, writer, amazing podcaster also. He's a, a right to die advocate. He's an amazing human, probably the smartest person I know. And I love him because... He reached out to me after I lost my baby in 2017 and I just announced what had happened publicly and was taking some time off of my breakfast radio show and I received an email from Andrew. This is what he said. Em, we met once briefly a few years back. I was going to write to you before this weekend's sad news but I've been off the grid for the last month so this has been my first opportunity. What I was going to say was... I really like what you're bringing to the airwaves. It's fresh, it's genuine, it's sassy. Above all, it's human and good human at that. I was going to say all strength to your arm and keep going. None of that has changed after the news about your baby. Other than to say, I'm glad you're taking care of yourself. And don't worry about what taking time away may mean professionally. Your audience will get it and get you in a way a million dollars worth of cash giveaways and advertising will never buy. As I said, good human, real human. Go well, be kind, Andrew. No need to reply, your inbox must be bursting. I mean, can you imagine? We'd never met and I was, you know, sitting in my bed and I was just so sad and I never kind of thought I'd not be sad and to receive that from someone I admire so much and I felt really seen And he made me feel okay about taking time off of the radio show because you need to know it's cutthroat in breakfast radio. If you take time away and your replacement is better than you, there's a good chance you're going to lose your job. So I was worried about that. And I wrote him back and I thanked him and 
he just responded, you know, I, I explained that I never imagined being funny again and I couldn't imagine going back to being a comedian and talking about things like Britney Spears. <laughs> Here we are. And he just sent back this one little kind of sentence and just said, Em, let us be grateful to people who make us happy. They are the charming gardeners who make our souls blossom. I mean, come on, guys. Andrew Denton, give it up. He's not on social media, nowhere that you can find, but he does lurk on my accounts. When I wished him a happy 60th, he said he enjoyed seeing me dressed up as Scotty. And I'm like, oh, come on, Andrew, what's your Instagram? He won't tell me. Strangely, though, I, I was also sent Tina Arena about a week later. <laughs> it, was, it was the universe when I was at my most vulnerable and desperate sent me Andrew Denton and Tina Arena, two tiny geniuses, two tiny strange geniuses. I need to tell you guys a story of how Tina and I met, not now. I'll save it for another time. And I think I'm going to get Tina to record it and we'll pop it into the podcast because her retelling of it is just worth it. She'll probably break out into song, which is glorious. We have a huge edition of Emsolation today. I know I say this every time, but, you know, it's what I have to do. It's the radio in me, guys. As you may or may not know, each Thursday, a funny mate of mine joins us to talk about what they've been up to in Orso. And this week, oh, guys, you're in for a treat. It's the lovely Pete Hellier. How good's that? Michael Lucas, oh, my God, are you ready for this, has had a meltdown, which is the first in 30 years of friendship. Yes, he's finally cracked. And Scott will chat about helping men deal with being in isolation. Before I do go, though, I wanted to let you know I've started a Patreon for Emsolation. What's Patreon? Yeah, well, I didn't know about it till my friend Will Anderson told me. All right, Em, pick that name up. You just dropped. Patreon is a platform that allows artists and their community to collaborate together on projects. That's right. You and I are going to do a collab. I'm very excited. You guys can become a member of Emsolation. It's 10 bucks US a month. And that basically allows us to have a budget. And it means I can pay comedians and singers and artists to be a part of the show, which is very important to me to give back to the arts community. You'll also get first access to the Emsolation merchandise that's coming, behind the scenes videos and photos, and my eternal love and gratitude. The pod will always be free. This is just another level of support you can give to Emsolation if you're loving it and getting something out of it. You don't have to, but we'd love you to be on board as a member. Go to patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Emsolation for more info. All right, enough of that. We best get to Michael Lucas before he has another tantrum. M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. This is Emsolation. Oh, well, here she is, diva of the day, having tantrums <laughs> in isolation. Oh, are you okay, Michael? Are you okay? <laughs> oh, look. I just want to say <laughs> before coming here, Mm. Because because I've had some weird testy times with my husband of misreading mm. each other, I tried to be positive and I walked upstairs and went, oh, you look happy this morning. And he just went, I'm not. <laughs> and so that's how we've kicked off the day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've had a fight with Scott about how long his shower was, so it's fine. I'm like, it's not hydrotherapy, oh. Scott. <laughs> oh, God. When we started this podcast, we're at episode nine. So eight episodes ago, I just want people to recall what you were saying about how you were finding isolation. We're talking nine-hour sleeps. We're talking reading weekend supplements, deciding which recipe you want to make. (laughs) 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 We did 
I mean, the house is very clean. We, we, we just sit there. We have long conversations about which show we want to binge watch. It basically is like our life has become the Good Weekend supplement and there's nothing else. I mean, <laughs> it's pretty sweet. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Oh, God. How's it all going now? What's happened? No, hmm? I talked to Big Game. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> and- that was so sincere. At the start, it really was pretty lovely for me. And I, 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 I do have to acknowledge, I know that I've got everything in my favour coming into this. No kids. I still have my income. Mm. But oh, just, it's, it's finally, it's broken me. It's broken me. Not, not completely, but I mean, just visually, you can tell when you see me because <laughs> at the moment I've, I can no longer fit into most pants. So I've taken to wearing drawstring board shorts, even though it's freezing. <laughs> You will have your gay card removed if anyone sees you in drawstring board shorts. What the hell? Well, they do see me because I can't stop walking. That's the other thing. <laughs> but isn't I've... all the walking you're doing like counterbalancing the food you're eating? Well, I think that's just a testament to food I'm eating. <laughs> I truly have become Forrest Gump. Come rain, hail or shine, and there's been a lot of rain in Melbourne Weekly uh, this week, I leave the house and I just power the pavement. (laughs) I'm getting like over 16,000 steps every single day. I just walk and walk and walk. I mean, I looked up the symptoms for cabin fever, which I always thought was just a phrase, but it actually is a thing. The symptoms are... Person may experience sleepiness or sleeplessness. Both. I've had both. Some nights I'm out for 10 hours and other nights I fall asleep for two hours, wake up and then just freak out about the world for, you know, until three o'clock in the morning or more. That's me every night, FYI. Your day-to-day life. But this is the weird one. Have a distrust of anyone they were with. I don't know whether it's that we've had to stare at each other's faces too long, but it's like I can no longer read Adrian's face. And sometimes I'm looking at him and he just... I keep on saying, are you, I, is everything all right? Are you okay? And he's like, yes, this is just my face now. That's what I, <laughs> and then God, finally, an extreme it. urge to go outside, even in adverse conditions, such as poor weather or limited visibility. And I, I'm, I, I've got a problem at the moment that I'm walking in the rain so much, my shoes are all getting wet. So I have to like <laughs> line them up by the window so they can dry. I'm just falling apart. And the biggest one, the most professionally costly one is I can't, concentrate anymore and I can't explain why that's happened because if ever there was a time where you had the space and the stillness to concentrate it's right now but I I can't stare at my computer screen for more than 25 seconds without googling generally Britney's Instagram but just anything why do you have that Oh, yeah, but that's – you just described my everything pre-international pandemic, so (laughs) I don't really have any sympathy for you at all. And I know that you'll return straight back. You guys will snap back unlike your waistline. (laughs) 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 The the moment this is over, are you – I have to ask the question, are you going to buy bigger size pants? Are you going to buy ISO pants? Um, But there, I said it. I'm (gasps) not. That's crossing a line. I'll squeeze – I'll just feel the pain. This is what you've done. Now go put your tight jeans yeah, on and I think don't about deserve. it. No, that's defeat. That's defeat. I'm holding out. See, Plus, bit- I do still have a lot of elasticizing drawstring pants. <laughs> so I'm right for a little while. But the beauty of my wardrobe is there's so much lycra content. It doesn't matter what size I am, I'm always the same size, according to my pants. It's perfect. Also, your wardrobe is just seemingly endless. I mean, <laughs> you, you, 
You did factor in wardrobe space into your complete health extension. It's incredible. It's incredible. Because I did. I love it. Now, there's something that you and I need to discuss publicly, and I have to say it is the number one thing I get asked when people find out that you were involved in writing the first five seasons of the beloved hit TV show Offspring. It is just <sighs> the first thing. Like, oh, he wrote Offspring. Why did he kill Patrick? So I think <laughs> – it's important that we discuss you deciding to kill one of the most beloved. Not just me. It was you. I was there when you made the decision. I was sitting in your lounge room on the floor. And, like, when you said to me, I think we're going to kill Patrick. No, we definitely yeah, need to but With the Deborah Oswald, the creator of the show, and the producers and, and other writers as Don't well. Don't try it was, it was and it. bring them into the hellfire. Do you not? You <laughs> wrote the We were episode. all there together. I didn't write the episode. Jonathan Gavin did. We were a team. But, but you know, all of us, all of us go down as one. Or is it, you know, depending on how you look at it. Mm. Or, or were, or, or felt the glory, or the, mm. or the shame, or whatever. Mm. I will say that I was the only one on Twitter at the time, and that was a really <laughs> interesting place to be. Now, um, now, obviously, we'll say hello to Catch Stewart because she's a big fan of Emsolation, guys. Whatever, and um, she played Billy, the character that um, obviously Deb Oswald came up with all the characters, but Michael was one of the head writers and was in charge of giving those characters dialogue. And I want you all to know that oftentimes I'd be sitting watching Offspring and I would witness an entire conversation that I'd had with Michael in private come out of that character's mouth. Sometimes incredibly intimate (laughs) stuff. The best one ever was once I wanted to communicate that Cat Stewart's character was having marriage issues with Eddie Perfect, and Emma just said something like, "You'd been watching Scott, and you said his nipples jiggle when he brushes his teeth." And it was like, "Oh man, that's the sign of just an absolute dead relationship." And so I put it in the show, and then Emma saw it on television. I was so mad at you, but there's so many things, and then all of a sudden Billy just morphed into me. Well, I don't even think Deb Oswald intended that, but because Michael was in charge of writing the character, I'll just see things and be like. Oh, my God. And then poor Kat was made aware of it, so she was forced to kind of start watching the things that I did, and I was very self-conscious. But then the episode came. <laughs> finally, finally, you guys, Michael said, do you want a little – because I have a cameo in most of Michael's shows. Interesting fact, I actually auditioned to play basically myself, the Claire, the role that Claire Bowditch ended up getting, and couldn't even land the role of myself. It was like a, a mother who'd been in a reality TV show singing competition. <laughs> couldn't even get that. So, so I played M. Rossiano, uh, radio interviewer, and I think I nailed it. But that was the episode that I was in. Patrick and she killed Patrick. Mm. Yeah, correct. So, finally, I will ask on behalf of all the distressed women and gay men of Australia, why? Why did that character need to die? Why? Well, the answer <laughs> is both there's, there's practical reasons and artistic reasons. Mm-hmm. And um, look at me, it's like I'm, I'm like I'm a politician about to make a speech. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you how the how the conversation came up. It's because after three seasons of Offstrings, we were suddenly commissioned for not one but two more seasons. We got season mm-hmm. four and five to be shot back to back. And there's a thing you have to deal with when you're um, working in drama, and that's options on actors, and that's basically how many seasons you've contracted actors for. And so we had to go around to all the cast and say, will you be contracted for season four and five? And Matt, who was very dedicated to the show and, you know, dead keen on it and everything, um, but he lives in America. He still lives in America and has a big career. And his 
agents never allowed him to oh. um, sign for multiple seasons. It was always a one season at a time um, yes. situation. And we were okay. in a dilemma because Nina was pregnant to him mm-hmm. and right. because the series were pretty much back to back. It was kind of like, we, oh, we need assurance because how if she has the baby at the end of episode four, we can't just come into season five and the dad's like gone missing. Or Why? What are we, like, what? Yes, because my point is, I don't care about all your technical jargon. You didn't have to end his life. You could have sent him off to doctors with borders. He could have had to have been, you know, gone overseas to a sick relative. I don't know. Why did I felt that that would have been too unsaid. But also, in addition to that, genuinely, I mean, as you know, it was uh, we were writing all this not long after my father had died, and so death was something that was very sort of present in my mind. And, oh, and I, this is just a very low blow. Oh, my God. You're bringing your father's death up. <sighs> no, but just bad. in general, no, I do. No, I feel bad. No, I, I genuinely feel, honestly, as a culture, we, we are weird about death. We don't talk about it that much. And no. I do think that there is a value in a kind of honest exploration of it. But the big reason, I still remember the moment when I knew it was what we had to tell. And that was, it, it came up as an idea, like, well, how are we going to deal with this? And all those things like send them overseas or send, mm. like all these sort of things we're discussing were all problematic in their own ways. And then of course, like when you come up, or, you know, what happens if he died? Mm. And I still remember we were thinking about what it would mean for the two sisters. And Deb Oswald was talking about how Billy, despite all her problems, would have to come in and, and, and be there for Nina. And she talked about a moment that might happen when Nina's so grief-stricken that she's thinking, I, if I have this baby, I don't know that I'm going to be able to care for it. Um, and then Billy would respond, well, I, I will for you. I'll, if you're not ready to, I'll love the baby for you. And we all burst out mm. crying in the room and we thought Gosh. it was such an incredible moment between sisters and that ultimately... <sighs> Ultimately, as much as it was a rom-com, the most important relationship was between the sisters and that was a story that, that was the best story that we could tell, I felt. And so I defend it. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) And then the show ran for, God, three more seasons after that. No, but I think you've just given everyone closure. I feel like the fact that it did bring the sisters closer together because sometimes you're right, no one wants to talk about death. You and I talk about death a lot, which I just realised how much we do talk about death. But, I mean, off air in our own conversations. Good. Okay, now I feel better about it. I mean, we still have to address why you decided to put me in that same episode so my amazing performance didn't get a Logie nomination for Best Newcomer, but whatever, fine. We were just talking about your father's death last night. I was away when your father died and I'll never forgive myself for that. Like it was, you needed me the most and I was in, I was in Venice. God. Yeah, and it was your first time in Italy. It was my first time overseas, Michael. It was my first time Mm. I'd ever left the country and I was in the middle of a complete personal breakdown like one of the biggest of my life because of Breakfast Radio in Perth and I was going through postnatal depression and all of that and my mum took me away overseas to kind of escape and then your father died. The conversations we were having then and then we were talking about it again last night because we both started watching a show called Never Have I Ever. So another TV mm. recommendation, guys, but one you can watch with your teenagers, I think. My girls have watched it and loved it and you're loving it. I loved it as a teenage girl, yes, absolutely <laughs> loved it. I, but I'm imagining how much I would have loved it in my teenage years. Same. Oh, especially because like a, she's a nerd. Yeah. She's an yeah, it's outcast a love letter. nerd. Mm, it's a love letter to nerds everywhere. It's just a love letter to people 
who didn't quite fit in. And it's kind of the opposite of normal people in that her lusting after things gets acknowledged. And if for all of us nerds and outcasts who were obsessive about things and then just got brushed aside, it's kind of a little bit of vindication. But there's also a lovely storyline with her father. Or her father, this isn't a spoiler, you've learned straight away, has passed away. And um, it, just the whole, it, it's really, and it's it's interesting to see into Indian culture and how similar it is to, to Italian culture as well with the overbearing parents. It's my recommendation for you if you want to do some family viewing. It's called Never Have I Ever. And is it on? I always get the, I always get the streaming no, service No, it's wrong. Netflix. It's Netflix. Netflix. It's Mindy Kaling from The Office mm. and from the Mindy Project that's done it. And yeah. and, um, and there's also there's, John McEnroe is the narrator. <laughs> and that is this really weird but kind of wonderful touch. Yeah. You know, and the girl that they've found to play the lead is, I mean, what a find. She's, oh, she's so engaging and funny magic. and yeah. she's perfect. She's yeah, perfect. she is. She's perfect. I have questions about the love interest they've casted, but fine, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm very strict <laughs> on casting. One of them is a 30-year-old playing a high school student and they're both, okay, I can't say that on the podcast. I don't know that they've cast the love interest well, but everyone else I'm quite happy with. So that's good. And also there's some coming out stories that are gorgeous, but I'm not sure that's how it happens in real life. I don't think parents (laughs) congratulate kids when they come out every time. I know I will if that happens here. God, imagine if Elio comes out. There'll be a coming out party. Oh, there'll be a full, (laughs) fully staged musical. (laughs) I would say. Marcella joked. It's not a bar mitzvah. It's, it's like a bar mitzvah, but for admitting you're a homosexual. He'll have to come out oh to God, be you're petro. practically sell <laughs> Patreon vouchers for Elio's coming out. Get first preference. God, it's going to be an extravaganza. Oh, what if I end up with a heterosexual son? What am I going to do with that? I have no you idea. You did catch him with a football. Oh, how dare you tell everyone that? I'm so ashamed. <laughs> I sent Michael a picture of my son holding a football and I was like, oh, God. He's holding a football. What's hoop, hoop, I'm so, how did he even get that in this house? That filth. Get it out of here. There are no. still Scott's jeans there. I mean, your jeans are very strong. Thank very you. strong. I can't believe my jeans aren't in there going, Scott, get out. <laughs> no, I mean, it's fine. I'll I love him no matter what. He's going to be sporty because I was very, very sporty. His father is very, very sporty. Like, that's going to happen. He's just going to be a human, a resident of earth and love people for whom they are. I'm sure that's what's going to end up happening. You know, male or female, whatever. My son will just go yeah. where the wind takes him. And maybe he'll be a heterosexual son that will still hop under a blankie in, in later years, drink some gin and watch Steel Magnolias with you. Don't rule it out. He, I've You're already got him. that penciled in for his 16th birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What well, thank life. you. Thank you for putting the hearts and minds of Australian women at, at rest now. We, oh, we look, I don't can... think I did that. I'm preparing for another round of Twitter hate. I, I, no. I should also just say legitimately most days I still get messages online about it. <laughs> and this is, it happened yeah. in 2013. <laughs> so we're real. Are you joking? Has it been seven years? Yeah, because my last year on Offspring was 2014, season oh five. My God. So, yeah, 2013. Isn't that bizarre? And back back in the era when dramas would rate like well over a million, like it was I know. Yeah, a very different time. Oh, before you go, and because this is a podcast, I'm allowed to talk for longer. Did you see today that our favourite MasterChef judge had, has talked about her depression and how she has a safe word on set? Oh. <gasps> yes. No. Yes. Yes. She Oh my god. Yeah, she's come she's come out and said she's her whole life. We're talking about 
I'm going to say Melissa. Melissa. It was, yeah. yeah. Melissa Leong. Um, I'm, I'm Melissa fully Leong. obsessed with her now. I mean, oh, I know we've indicated that before, but it's I'm, it's a Stockholm Syndrome thing. I'm pretty sure I cannot <laughs> stop thinking about it. Well, she's done a podcast with her friend and she's openly talked about the fact that she's suffered from clinical depression her whole life and um, – when she's on set, sometimes things get a bit much for her and she's like, I understand it. She's obviously a very passionate, you know, feelings on the outside of her skin. I see it. I see kindred spirit. I understand. And she has a word. She didn't reveal what the safe word was, but she just says it and the producers find her 10 minutes to be alone somewhere where she, she can just gather her thoughts and start again. And I love that. Oh, I want to yeah. implement a safe word for my family and I'll just shout at them, <laughs> banana, banana, banana. My safe word's banana. Pineapple. And then they just know, okay, mummy needs 10 minutes. I could just be screaming that all day long though, so I don't know if a safe word's effective for me. I think but- I need it in my house at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be safe words, Bet Midler, and I just call it out and then go for a 16K <laughs> walk. <laughs> Michael's out walking again. But I love her even more now for talking about mental health, for, for saying that when she's on the job, she does need to take five or 10 minutes aside. Like I just, she's just better and better for me. Oh, no. Uh, and Melissa- it's just more and more evidence that we're destined to be best friends with her. She doesn't know it yet. She might oh, be a little bit disturbed. No, no. she's Probably she's- won't be happy when she figures out that supposedly I wrote erotic fiction. You wrote erotic fan fiction about it. Oh, no, we'll we're get through that. We'll get through that. It'll be bonding. We'll laugh about it with Melissa. Yeah, we're coming for you, Melissa. We're coming. <laughs> All right. Off you go. Go and um, maybe go and make your husband a nice cup of tea and don't mention his face, oh, okay? Don't no, open oh, the day God, with I've face. learned the lesson there. <laughs> All right, chat All right. soon. Bye. This is Emsolation. Okay, we've come to the, oh, God, it's the third last segment. Normally it's the last, but we have so much to get to in the show today. Scott Barrow joining us again. Scott, Brendan Favola of Fifi, Fev and Byron says to say hello. G'day, Fev. Definitely listening. Fev's the number one fan of Emsolation. Um, today we're going to go a little different speed because – we received um, a voice memo, which you guys can send in at hello at com from a lady and it's the same theme of I reckon I've got probably well over 100 from women expressing the same kind of concern for the man in their life. So uh, have a listen. Hey, Scotty and Em. My name's Claire and I'm 38 and I'm from Melbourne. I'm starting to really worry about my partner during ISO time. He's usually really bright and cheery the lack of social interaction is really getting to him and he's become super flat. How can I help to lift him up? Thank you. So, I mean, obviously, Scott, on Tuesday we talked about that, you know, feeling responsible for your partner's moods and letting them have it. But I think this goes down a different path. Yeah, I think it might be a little bit more, um, a bit more serious maybe. Mm. Not, not to trivialise the previous situation, yeah. but this one's almost like, oh, this could could be the start of something. Yeah, and I think men's mental health in this country is a topic that needs to be discussed. I mean, mental health in this country in general needs to be discussed more freely and with less stigma attached to it. But I think at the moment, you know, a lot of men are perhaps out of work or they're not seeing their usual social circle, they're not doing their sport. And I think perhaps aren't as good as voicing how they're feeling and perhaps are internalising things. And I think a lot of women or partners are concerned with their normal, as Claire said, bubbly, upbeat people in their life feeling the opposite. So we're going to take a softly, softly approach in that. It's not going to be 
textbooky Scott giving you answers or, you know, what we normally do. It's more about Scott and I talking about helping men talk about mental health. Why do men, you're a man, why do men, why do you find it hard? I mean, you don't talk about your mental health that much. Why is it, why don't you, I mean, on a personal level, why don't you talk about your mental health much? In the times when I could and maybe that could be an option in my mind, I think it's probably, probably gets down to fear at that point in time. So if I say this, what does that mean for me in the future with in relation to the people around me, how they're going to perceive me, and also what does that mean for myself? And Because it's almost like new territory as well. So I think there's that social concern and also, you know, it's like it's, it's so new and unfamiliar that it it's, could be scary. Can I throw something else into the mix? I also think I married you and this, I don't know if this is this in your relationship where your husband sees himself as the stoic kind of sensible provider, you know, that traditional stereotypical male role, if that is the case. For me, I was married to you and was attracted to you because you are so steady and stoic. And if I get a sense that you're feeling a bit wobbly, I get nervous and I don't necessarily want to hear it because for me, you're my stability. So when I sense that maybe Scott's a bit down or flat about something, that's when I go into kind of fix mode. So do you think some men sense that they don't want to tell their families that they're struggling because they want to still be that area of strength and they don't want to appear vulnerable and weak because they're afraid it'll make everyone else nervous? I think that's one way, but there's, there could be a whole lot of different considerations. Yeah, some people might be concerned about how it's going to play out with others, but that, that other people might just be sort of essentially um, not trapped but uh, lost in their own internal workings. So they can't even see those considerations. So if it's just a temporary thing, let, and let's assume it is because it sounds like it is with this guy, it's a temporary state, what can she do rather than trying to solve it? Yeah. What can she help to motivate him again? When I was listening to this one, I thought, okay, what could be some ways? And I think if you think it's more sort of like the situation's more in their head, you know, thinking, it's like, well, then it's almost like a problem-solving thing, okay? What's the issue? How could it be better? What options do we have? Those sorts of things. That's almost like a coaching conversation. But if you think it's a bit more um, deeper than that, it's almost like a mood, which probably where these things tend to get to, then you've got to be almost like um, move somehow move into a different mood. I'm not talking about people who are really, really suffering here might need to go to a mental health expert, but uh, moving into a different mood. So if I'm a bit flat and um, people make suggestions and they just don't land, then we've got to move into a different mood. So then the question is how, how, how might you do that? And okay, so how, how might you do that, Scotty? Yeah. So when we are in certain moods, there's, you know, we've got moods for all sorts of emotional experiences and the mood here might be a mood of almost uh, resignation, sort of hopelessness. But I think with what we're hearing from Claire, it's a mood of resignation. That's how it sounds to me. It's like, And a mood of resignation is when you're like, there are possibilities, but you're just like, yeah, th- but that, there's no point. It's not going to work anyway. So you're sort of um, rejecting the possibilities. So we want to move into a um, move into a mood of possibility, and and then the question is, how do you do that? And it's not really through thinking and talking because you've got this mood, you can't think straight anyway. So it's like, how do you shift that? So then the question, how how would you shift your mood? Well, there's things you can do. There's things like music. 
spontaneous happenings. So someone knocks on the door, oh, that's, you know, not, obviously not at the moment because we're not sort of connecting with people in a physical sense. But the one that jumps out at me is physical activity, movement. Um, not necessarily exercise, but just getting moving. So move the juices in your body, which helps you move the thoughts in your mind and freeze things up. Now, you might say, um, uh, might be Claire going, suggesting, oh, do you want to go and do this? Nah. Do you want to go do that? So it's almost like she's got to sort of um, skillfully ambush him where he doesn't have to think about it, doesn't have a decision. Oh, um, you know, John called up and we're going to do this or we're going to go down to Bunnings because we've got to do that, you know, just springing it on him, I reckon. So there's, you know, sort of avoiding conscious decision making. I like that idea and that's an approach I take when we're not in isolation. <laughs> Often Scott gets into trouble with our daughters when he asks them to do things and I say to you, nah, just tell them. And I think this is, this is good because don't give them the option to say no. Don't let him sit there. Just go, oh, babe, get up. We're just going to do this. And he'll more than likely be like, oh, okay, fine, you know. It's, or, or it's almost like, oh, this is happening and it's all, like he recognises he hasn't got a choice. The other aspect of it is who might be that person to sort of um, mention that it's going to happen. It might be a friend or it might be – you know, it might be Claire, but it also might be Claire organising behind his back to get one of his mates to call him up and yes. have a chat and, and, and maybe just deliberately gets into a conversation and they can relive, you know, previous glories or something like that. You're just trying to shift that mood with minimal thinking, if that makes sense. So you've got written there, go from a mood of resignation to a mood of possibility. And that can sound wanky, but... That's what it is. That's, so that's so wanky. Yeah. And things that can influence mood, you know, you can eat certain foods, you know, coffee influences mood, music influences moods, human movement, physical activity influences mood. But again, we're trying to get that to happen with a bit more spontaneity. So how it's offered up, uh, how how he hears it, who it comes from, these are all important factors. So there's things like and all, there's also these biological elements behind all this too. So um, an acronym I love is SPACE HR. So it's um, S for sleep, optimise your sleep. P is for presence, getting activities which where you're really lost in the moment. A is for activity. C is for creativity, anything where you can get some sort of creativity. And that doesn't mean artistic creativity, but any type of creativity, problem solving. E is for eating. And the HR is habits, trying to get that happening automatically. The R is a social thing. So you can't do your normal social patterns, but the key recognition is what okay. Does R, stand for? R is relationships. Oh, okay. Sorry, R is relationships. So you can't do your normal social thing. So you have to set set up other options. So, you know, Zoom is, you know, <laughs> the shares in Zoom has gone through the roof through this period. People are using it because they go, well, it's not my preferred method, but shit, what else am I going to do? Okay, good. That's good. That's helpful. I like it. Obviously, if you feel like, if you're listening to this and your partner's mood feels a little bit more than just, you know, it's passing, make, make sure you get some help. Make sure you go, just go to your GP, encourage him to go, go with him and just let them know because it could be something deeper going on and he could need some professional help. So obviously we're just talking now in a sense of this guy's struggling with the current situation and normally he's in a, in a, you know, in a good headspace. But again, just really, really go to your doctor. Don't be afraid to acknowledge your mental health. It is nothing to be ashamed of. It's taking control and it's the most powerful thing you can do for yourself. And trust me, this is coming from someone who has to take control of her mental health. You know, once every three months, I'll say to Scott, I'm not good. So I know I've got to go back and either talk to someone or I'm not exercising enough or, you know, I've, I've, I've got to go to my doctor. So please remember to do that. 
Scotty Barry, thank you very much. It was a good one. And if you want, uh, if you want the wisdom of my husband showered upon you in that husky, deep voice, please email hello at mraciano.com. Little 30-second voice memo. And um, you could have the dulcet tones of my husband helping you fix the things that are ailing you. All right, well, now it's time to get to my mate, Pete Hellier. What a treat it is to have him on the show today, just letting you know what's been going on in his world. Bonjour, Emrociano. Bonjour, Michael Lucas. Je suis Pierre. On très bien, something like that. I'm learning French uh, in lockdown. I don't know why. I've always had the opinion that it's not worth learning languages unless you're going to learn the entire language because what's the point? I'm going to go to Paris and I'm going to say to somebody in the street, Oulaga, s'il vous plaît, which I think means where is the train station um, or where is the train station. And they will look at me and believing I am a, a fellow countryman, um, they will answer in French, uh, waving their arms around, pointing in different directions. And they will be pointing around and, uh, and I'll just be there. Eventually, I'll have to say to them in English, I'm sorry, I, I only learnt the questions. I, I, didn't, I didn't learn the answers. And then this is going to be awkward. So unless you're going to learn the entire language, I don't know what I'm doing. But um, I guess I'll keep doing it. It's keeping me entertained. Um, I'm trying to keep positive during lockdown. I'm looking forward, like everyone else, to not having to get into the brace position every time I sneeze. Um, I'm trying to remind myself that uh, it could be worse. You know, I've got friends doing, uh, you know, doing Ramadan at the moment. And they've been in like, stage four lockdowns for like thousands of years. So... It could be totally worse. I could be the old lady who lives in the shoe. I mean, she's dealing with isolation and tenure. So, you know, it could be worse. I, I, I could be in America. We could be in America. We are in Australia. We're reasonably under control here. Uh, in America, they're protesting on the streets. Uh, I saw uh, there was a survey recently where um, 38% of Americans that were surveyed said they will never drink Corona beer again because of the coronavirus. That makes no sense. That's like responding to a gun massacre by saying you'll never eat Magnum ice creams ever again. It's not going to make a difference. All right, Em, I'm loving the podcast. Keep up the great work. And uh, as I say, au revoir, merci, bonjour which I think has got something to do with Bon Jovi. I'm not completely sure. Um, but uh, love yous. See you on the other side. Oh, well, because I haven't heard what Pete said and I'm pre-recording this because we still haven't got it from him, but we will. I'm sure it was amazing. Ha, 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 Pete. That nah, would have been great. But I have no idea what he just said. Like, I mean, he literally could have just said, Em is an alien from another planet. And he'd be correct. But I'm very grateful to my friend Pete for doing whatever just happened then. I'm, I'm, and I'm going to be listening to it. I'm going to listen back to it. This is Emsolation. Well, I got to do something pretty exciting, I have to say. Uh, Kate Sobrano. And it's been a big week. I did Tina Arena's chat show last week, Quarantino Arena. What a name. And um, then Kate Sobrano emailed me and said, hey, would you like to sing one of my songs? And it was kind of daunting. 
So I said, of course. I said, yes, of course. Um, and the song was Brave. And it's one that I loved as a kid. God, Kate Sobrano. Just I went and saw her in Jesus Cross Superstar, of course, with, with John Farnham. I mean, the only version you should ever see, John Farnham, John Stevens, and Kate Sobrano. It's Mary Magdalene. What a performance. I don't know. Oh, my God, I love her so much. And my dad had such a – and still does to this day – such a massive crush on Kate Sobrano. So she said, I'm doing this thing on Friday nights. It's called Kate and Friends. We sing together and I'll be playing piano and we'll get some backing singers and blah, blah, blah. So I, I recorded a version of Brave and she's given me permission to play it for you now. So what you're about to hear is me singing, uh, and I had to do it in one take. It's not perfect singing. You know, I get very nervous. It's me singing Brave. Feel free to skip through it. But yeah, here is my version of Kate Sobrano's song, Brave, and you'll hear Kate Sobrano kind of being my hype man in the background. <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. Uh, and then after the song, I've got a very important announcement. So make sure you come, you know, you, you stay listening after the song. I know you're going to be overcome with emotion, remembering back to year 10, smelling Lynx Africa and Impulse Merrily Musk and using Body Shop lip gloss is where this song took me back to. Oh, maybe that's just me. All right, enjoy. This particular artist is very unexpected on every level. She is a provocateur. Uh, she's a mother, she's a comedian, she's a singer, she's an actor and she's an activist as well. And um, when I asked her if she'd do this song, I never expected to get back something that was so intimate. And her performance of this is gorgeous. Uh, I know you're going to love it too. And I love hearing other people sing this song. Uh, this is Brave, performed by M. Rossiano. Yeah, and in your arms I'll ride. 
Imagine having to sing Kate Sobrano's song while Kate Sobrano looks at you and you look at her. I was fine, guys. Thank you guys for being a part of M Salation this week. Remember to send in your questions for Coach Scotty at hello at mrussiano.com. And also the Patreon is ready for your patronage. If you want to become a member of M Salation, join the team, help me build this thing, you can go to patreon.com forward slash M Salation. Be in the community, be a member, get all the perks. I'm so grateful to all of you who are already patrons. Uh, And that's it. Have a wonderful weekend and I will catch you guys again on Tuesday. A Podcast One production.